What's the deal? What's the deal, man? Politic in the podcast. We back again here at Rigor Mortis Studios located in downtown San Bernardino. We got all your studio needs, man. Pull up. Check us out at politicandbroadcastingnetworks.com for all our content. Any questions, hit the message box. Man, hit us up. So introduce yourself, man. Let the people know who you are. Calvin Dubois, man. So, uh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to be able to sit down with you, man, and chop it up about life and everything that's going on within the community, bro. For sure, for sure. So what what brings you here today? Yeah, just talking about what's going on with um, social services, first step group homes, what's going on within our community. Just want to bring some awareness to everything um, that's going on out in the community so people are is aware of what's going on because I think that um, a lot of people um, aren't aware and things are happening under covers and behind closed doors and people just don't know what's going on. So what is your back background? Give people a quick background on uh, who you are, how you come from. Um, born and raised in Pasadena, California. Oh, for real? Yeah, born and raised in Pasadena, California, man. Um, did music when I was coming up. Loved working with kids. My dad died in 1986. Had a stepfather. He did a, he, he did a good job, but um, at a... At a at the age 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, around that age when, you know, you're growing and when you're becoming a man, and that's when I was more with my mom, and so, uh, shout out to my mom for everything that she did for us, but as I became a man, as I got married, I got two sons right now, and a daughter, I wanted to get back to our community, man, and just pour into young men, because a lot of these dudes is out here making the wrong decisions, going to jail, selling drugs, gang banging, doing a lot of stuff that a lot of my friends and all the things that we did, we was growing up. So now I was trying to turn back and help these, help the youth out, man. So my goal in life now is to just help as many kids as possible, help turn their life around, so they aren't going to jail, so they aren't dead, things of that nature. So uh, I own a group home. We have two homes in the city of Rialto, two six-bed homes for boys between the age of 12 to 18. So and I take kids who are juvenile delinquents. I take foster kids. Um, I take kids who've been neglected, abused, emotionally, sexually. I take all type of kids. Kids on psychotropic medication, um, because that's the that's the age group that needs the help the most. That's the next generation. So how did you get into that? As far as group homes, what made you decide like, okay, group homes is where I want to go? Um, I think growing up and not really having that father figure. I think I needed it, and you know, um, even still to this day, I'm 33, not being able to call my dad and have a conversation, like something happened in life, and be like, hey, you know, this happened. I think looking at the generation right now, where the kids are, and like, what's important to them, uh, a lot of them are lacking parents, like in African American community, we don't have parents, we don't, we don't have fathers in the home, we don't have brothers, and. Um, we don't have the uncles. We don't have the people. We don't have the grandparents. We don't have people that can show us, what, you know, what we need to do to move out of poverty or, or to actually move up in life, actually become something. So me and my wife, you know, in 2013, I had a job <clears throat> working with my mentor. I quit my job, wanted to open up my own thing, and went on this journey to open up this group home. It took me two years. We opened up in 2015, and it's been like a dream come true because it's, I do what I love. You know, I love working with children. So it's something I get to, I get to do working with young, well, it's not children, it's young men. So working with teenage boys because I get to pour into their life because I understand the culture. 
like I understand the music and the fashion and the sports and, and the things that they're into, right? I understand uh, minorities. So I think with understanding, I, it kind of gives me an edge because I'm still kind of young and kind of close to their age. So it's like a big brother relationship for some of them. It's like a dad relationship for some of them. So it uh, it works. It works. And I mean, I, and I got amazing staff that's great at what they do. We're all young, um, all really understand the, the culture and what we're trying to accomplish and um, culturally relevant. And we're trying to make a change and an impact out here. So as far as you said informing the community, what did you mean by that? Like what's going on that the community is not informed about? It's so many kids in foster care. Um, you see these kids walking around San Bernardino County with trash bags. They don't have anywhere to go. There's no placements, meaning that there's no beds. There's not enough homes out here. So we need more people to come in and open up more group homes and more homes um, to take these kids off the street. You know, kids is AWOLing, meaning that they're running away from placement. People are losing their kids every single day, and there's nowhere for them to go. So it directly affects our community, our homeless rate, our crime rate, because when kids ain't got nowhere to go, what are they going to do? Right? They got to survive. Mm -hmm. You got a 17-year-old in the street, he got to survive. I got to eat. So what am I going to do if I got to eat? I'm going to steal. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. So it, it increases the crime rate, and then it increases the homeless rate because we don't have enough homes for these youth out here. So I'm just trying to get more people to come inside here and try to do their part. These aren't my kids, my biological kids, right? My biological kids live with me. But I got a heart for these type of these youth men, these young men out here because they, they, don't, they don't have any guidance or any structure, and they need somebody to be able to guide them. So I just need the community to be aware of when you see these young kids out here and they wilding out. There's a reason why. They ain't got nowhere to go. They ain't got nobody. So it's not just like, I want to wild out because I just want to wild out. I want to be bad because I want to be bad. It's like dudes is angry because they ain't got no dad. They ain't got no family. You know, they need help. So, you know, I'm out here trying to actually help. We have a staff of people that do therapy. You know, we have a um, psychologist that works for us that's actually providing mental health services for these kids. That, so, that's, that's huge because uh, as... For like the last two years, I believe, I feel like the black community is, is finally opening up to talk about our trauma and our mm -hmm. mental health. But my whole life, that's just something in the black community that we sweep under the rug and that we act as if it doesn't exist. You know, and, and it's something that I've struggled with my whole life. Yeah. Like, really around fourth, fifth grade is when I, kind of my worst my teenage years, you know, I kind of was all in, into all type of mischief that, you know, was based off of my mental state, you know. Mm -hmm. I was I would fly off the handle and basically be impulsive because of my fragile mental state. Yeah. You know, and now I do things to kind of zen me out and keep me in, in a different mindset. But if you're not, if you don't identify the problem, then mm -hmm. you can never fix the problem. Exactly. So you have all these kids that got, they got, there's a root of their issue. And you're right, until we actually talk about what the issue may be, we'll never get to the root. So there's a reason for every behavior. We talk about there aren't bad kids, it's bad behaviors, right? And so, I mean, you got people who made a mistake, who went to jail, who did things, right? A lot of it is a mistake. I'm not saying everybody inside there made a mistake, but what I'm saying is a lot of these kids that are going to jail, they're making mistakes because they just aren't being heard. 
So our goal is to make sure that more minorities are heard, and not just minorities, I mean any kid, right? That all kids are heard, and that they get the mental, the proper mental health. Because when I was growing up, you're right, when I was ta when we talked about like stuff in the barber shop, like we talked about whatever happens with you, happens with you. Like you and your girl, or you and your wife, like you don't discuss it, right? Like you keep that, like you're a man, you figure it out. So now we're trying to change that, and it's like trying to get guys to talk and open up. They think they're being sensitive now, right? so you know. So it's not just being sensitive; it's just it's helping your mental state and making sure that you don't fly off the handle and make that wrong decision that may lead you to going to jail, may lead you in the you know, um, in the cemetery. That's really our goal. I don't want to see. I'm tired of seeing kids on the news, you know, suicide and you know, killing each other and going to jail, getting life, 25 to life. You you 19 years old. Your life is already you already it's already basically over because you're gonna be in jail for 30 years. So, um, just trying to make a change, man. Definitely. So, what's going on with you, with your business right now? So, yeah, we had this incident in 2017. We've been open since 2015. Um, we had this one incident in 2017 where we had a 17-year-old black kid. You know, um, he was leaving our group home. He wasn't too happy about that. His social worker let him know. Um, he ended up pulling out a knife on us. And when he pulled out that knife... Um, he ended up trying to fight me in the office. He, you know, destroyed my car, you know, stabbed all four of my tires. It was just a crazy situation. So when he went outside, I had a choice either to leave him outside or for me to go outside. And I picked a choice to go outside because, you know, I'm in the community in the city of Rialto. You know, we're in the community. I have kids in my community. I have other kids that live in that group home. I have staff. And then I have a 17-year-old kid outside with a knife, right? So I made the choice to go outside. The state didn't agree with that choice. And when I say the state, I mean California Department of Social Services didn't agree with that choice for me to be able to go outside. They wanted me to leave him outside. I gave him scenarios thinking, okay, what happens if he stabs himself? Right? Mm -hmm. What happens if he stabs a kid? You know, or a neighbor tries to intervene. It's too many different scenarios. And I wanted to go outside because I had a relationship with this kid at the time. You know, we played basketball. We did things together. So, um... I wanted to make sure I went outside. So basically, long story short, the, um, the state found out about it. There was a video that a staff recorded. That's no longer with me. That staff recorded that video, and it showed me talking to the kid. And from the state's perspective, they thought I was trying to like antagonize the kid. Wasn't trying to antagonize him, trying to keep him there, because I feared for his safety. I wanted to make sure he was there. The cops were already called. He said he was coming back with a gun to kill us. And... Um, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I got kids there, I got staff there, he didn't come back with a gun. So, the next day he did end up going to jail because he had a gun, he robbed a liquor store, which lets me know that he could have got a gun, right? He had access to one. So, my intuition was right for me to go out there, and I don't really change my stance because I wanted to make sure the kid didn't get hurt. So, when he attacked me, I didn't get hurt, he didn't get hurt, he ended up getting away two years, you know, 2018 comes. This happened in June 2017. 2018 comes. They do an investigation. In August, they give me a clearance saying that it's all cleared out. Right? Um, and for me to clear it out, I had to do a corrective action plan. And what that is, is I had to tell the state what I was going to do or tell community care licensing, like how we was going to correct the citation. So they said, I said, I'm going to do training, like more crisis training. My staff will get training, and I do a training called Therapeutic Options. Did all that, turned it into licensing, they cleared it out. I'm thinking that's the end of this incident. 
2019 comes around, February, I get a phone call saying that um, we're revoking your license and we're banning you for life. And that's for life? For life. So they banned me for life. So that's where we are right now. Today I've been dealing with this for nine to ten months um, because of a video that they had in 2017. They came back after they already cleared it out. They revoked both of my licenses, removed 12 of our boys two days before Thanksgiving, and banned me for the rest of my life for me to be able to never work in this industry again. Now, isn't that double jeopardy? Don't they have to abide by some type of you would law or jurisdiction? <laughs> How can you clear me, tell me what to do? I, I do everything that I'm supposed to do, and then you come back like, two years later and revoke me for life? I mean, that's the question I've been asking. That's the question my lawyer been asking. That's the question our team been asking. And we still haven't yet to get that answer. I mean, from what they told me is that they make their own rules. And that they can, you know, they can pull back something from five, six years ago. So my question was, then why even go through the, the process of clearing somebody? Right? Leave a citation there. Leave it open. Because if you can come back two years later and say, hey, well, you know, I'm going to revoke your license. Then, I mean, the whole process is ridiculous. We need policy change. And that's what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for policy change. Because for them to tell me to stay inside the house and lock the door, because those may be the rules, that's not realistic in a crisis situation for me to leave a 17-year-old kid outside with a knife. Now, one thing that I, I look at with laws is that a lot of laws are outdated. So when, did, when was this the process? Because in 2019, that can't be the best possible <laughs> answer to these type of scenarios, especially with all these school shootings and different things that's happening, I don't, that can't be the same process as if this is not a new world that we're living in. Yeah, you're right. I don't, And I don't know when these rules or these laws or these policies went into effect, but you're right. In 2019, I didn't try to alienate the police because I have a great relationship with Rialto PD. You know, now we do. In the beginning, we didn't because they didn't understand what I did. They didn't understand foster kids. They didn't understand that. These kids are troubled youth coming to our in our community, and they would do things like AWOL. We have to call the police to make a missing person report, and it would piss the police off because they would think we're wasting resources. But I had some some problems with Rialto PD where you know some cops said some things about some of our kids, like you know when they get up of a certain age, you know it's gonna be a problem. So I kind of I I've been put on the curb before by police officers for nothing, right? I've been walking. I've been pulled over, I've been driving, and I'm not talking about all police. I'm just saying that I've been pulled over before for nothing. And I've been, I, they sat me on the curb for nothing. And I was there for an hour, and they was running my background, doing whatever they was doing. So, you're right, 2019, 17-year-old kid with a knife, anything could have happened. Anything could have happened. And it's probably a good chance that I probably would know the cop that's coming because we deal with the police, right? They're on our side when it comes to this. But... To know that, you know, a kid's life could have been taken or know that he could have took his own life or another person's life. I just couldn't have it on my conscience and do nothing, right? So, they don't like that I'm saying that I would do the same thing over again. They want me to change my stance. And it's hard for me to do that if I don't feel I did anything wrong. Exactly. You know, so, and to, like you said, your reaction, ban me for life. Like, we had the news out there. They did a video. Uh, Channel 7 News was out there. Thank you for Channel 7 News coming out there. But even if I, let's say I did do the wrong thing. 
if I did the wrong thing and I had one citation in four and a half years, is that worth being banned for life? For life? I mean, especially it seems kind of excessive. Especially when you've done the corrective acting that they told you to do. Exactly. So it just, it seems kind of excessive. And just to like, so to give you some history, so you understand, I mean, you can look up our group home history on online. So if you look up our group home history online, with us being since inception in 2015, licensing, community care licensing has came to my facility 10 times, at least 10 times. And we passed 10 unannounced audits with no deficiencies found from multiple analysts. So what is that telling you? that we're always in compliance, we stay in compliance. We have a mental health contract with San Bernardino County to do mental health services, right? We're CARF accredited, which means that we have the same accreditation that a hospital has like Kaiser. So we've done everything. Our history and our record speaks for itself. So for you to ban me for the rest of my life and shut down a group home tells me that it's personal because it has nothing to do with the group home. It's Calvin Dubois that you want, right? I even offered to step down. I offered to step down. I got 25 staff that work for us. So I said, hey, let me step down, take a step back, let somebody else run the company, remove myself so the kids aren't affected, the, kid aren't, the kids aren't displaced, because that's really what matters. I got 12 kids in our, in our facility and in our care who look at me like a dad, who look at our staff like mothers and brothers and, and you know parents, and some of them never been in other group homes. So you take them two days before Thanksgiving, they're all excited. We got this family atmosphere. And you snatch them out of our house. Not the county. The county was mandated to do that by the state. You snatch them out of our house and you say, hey, you're going to Bakersfield. Do you know how far Bakersfield is for a kid who doesn't drive or doesn't know a sense of direction when your whole life is in the city of Rialto or in San Bernardino County? And now I snatch you and they're like, okay, well, I'll take you to Bakersfield. Or you're going to Oakland. You're going to Oklahoma. The goal of foster care, just so everybody knows, our goal is family reunification. Meaning that if you're a parent, and let's say you're on drugs or you're doing the wrong thing when you're a parent, they take your kid, right? And then let's say you get your life together. When you get your life together, the goal is for us to, to bring your kid back home to you, right? You want to be a parent again, so the goal is to bring your kid back home. So we do family therapy, right? We do family therapy, we do therapy with the kid. But most of the parents don't have the means and the money to be able to come to us necessarily. Some of them live in shelters. So how do you expect me to get to Oakland? Tell me how you expect me if I live in San Bernardino to fly to Oakland or to fly to Oklahoma to see my kid. I'm never going to see my kid again. So it's contradictory to, to the laws that the state of California makes to get these kids back home because you don't want them to stay in the system. I want them to get out of the system. And that's the goal. The goal is to get them back home. And if you send my kid to Oakland, there's no possible way I can get them back home because my family lives in San Bernardino County. So you said it was 12 kids? 12 kids. And they're all going to different locations? All going different locations. Now these kids, they become like brothers, mm -hmm. right? You're living in the house of somebody for a long time. You know, um, you go to the same school. And I had kids graduating in three weeks. I had kids with jobs. I had kids that had girlfriends. Now you come home from school one day and your social worker is calling you saying, I'm coming to pick you up in an hour. Why? Because uh, we're moving you to another home. Why? We don't have a choice. Now, it's not the social worker's fault because they're just doing what the state's mandated them to do. I get it. Your hands are tied. But you're moving our kids. I don't even get to say bye to my friends.
or my girlfriend. I'm 13. I'm devastated. I've already been moved 10, 15 times already with no warning. What kind of trauma does that inflict on you that you can just pick me up and just move me wherever you want but I don't even have a voice to be able to tell you what's going on? So I got 12 kids crying, calling my phone once they find out what happened, writing letters for me. Does the state care about that? No. I mean, you, you can't if you're still going to shut us down. The kids are obviously not the focal point. Which they should be, right? Exactly. At the end of the day, the system is built for the kids. The kids should be the, the MO. And that's not, that's clearly not what they care about. And that's why I said that I would step down. That's the reason why. Not because I want to step down, because I love what I do. Right? I, I have people in the community and people within the county, high-ranking officials that wrote letters for us. But none of that matters if the kids have to be displaced and they can't be with their family and their loved ones and can't get the services that we provide. So for me, it, the focal point is the kids. But that's not their focal point. So what they want to do is they want to nail me to the wall. They did. But it was a lot of other casualties because of that. So... It's a lot of other people that's hurt because of that. The kids, the staff, the county. The county's already lacking beds. I get multiple calls a week. I get multiple calls a week for placement, meaning that they're calling me saying, can you take in more kids? Mm-hmm. If the county already doesn't have the resources, would it make any sense to take away 12 beds when you already don't have any beds? When you guys are already lacking beds? Mm-hmm. They're already calling me? Is the right hand talking to the left hand? But, but that's the state, the state doesn't really care about what the county's going through either. Exactly, and that's the problem. My thing is, we on the ground floor. We in San Bernardino right now. Right? We on the ground floor. Um, we in your building, we on the ground floor. The state doesn't know what's going on out here. You're in, you're in the ivory towers or wherever you're at in your state building. Or you may be in Sacramento at the Capitol, and you're making these laws, and they affect San Bernardino County. They affect the youth out here. They affect the kids out here. So what I'm saying is that we're on the ground floor working with these youth. I know exactly how it feels for youth to, to be devastated because they their, their, their mom just died or, or, or their, their dad's in jail for life and they can't speak to them or whatever, right? They don't have to deal with that. So for you to remove a provider who wants to stay in the business, who wants to help the community while San Bernardino County has constantly supported me through this whole thing just doesn't make any sense. You would think if the county is saying, hey, these are our kids. We're placing with this home. The state would say, you know what? Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe they, they, maybe they are a good group home. Maybe they are a good provider, and they would back off. But they had their own agenda, and their agenda has caused a lot of people hurt and pain. And you know that's kind of where we're at right now. So, what's the plan going forward? What is your plan of action? My plan of action is to continue to fight. I mean. It looks crazy on paper. You got Calvin Dubois, First Step Group Homes versus California Department of Social Service. And I don't want to make California Department of Social Services my enemy because they're not. Um, it's not everybody in the department. It's a few people that may have a personality conflict with me because I said what I, what I said and I wasn't disrespectful. I didn't, I didn't curse. I didn't scream. I didn't say anything crazy. Um, but the goal is to try to get this overturned. And it's not just happening to me. It's a, it's a county, it's a statewide problem, so the goal is to try to help change policy. And I didn't ask to try to, I just I just want to be honest, like I didn't, 
this wasn't my goal to try to be on TV or help change policy or do anything. I just really wanted to work with kids. That's all I really wanted to do. That's really my passion, just working with kids. I don't need the publicity, but it's like, now they force my hand and I don't have anything else. So you take everything away from me and I have no choice but to go out here and then set up rallies and have the community come out and try to support what we're doing. So the goal is for them to change policies and look at these policies that don't actually match the common sense because things need to change. Now we're going to need the help from the community. Is it the policy or is it the legislation? Because laws are different from policy. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I think I think I think it's I think it's the policy. I think it's a policy, but I'm going to need my local legislators' help, too, to be able to do that. We need the people at the state level. Yeah. We, we need the people at the county level to support and push this because it directly affects the youth. I think that that's more of the, the key is to get legislation because mm -hmm. then if, if the legislation states that your policy is unconstitutional, you have no choice but to adapt a new policy. Got it. So coming into a company and trying to tell a company, a private organization, to, to change its policy mm -hmm. is going to kind of fall on deaf ears. Got it. But if you change the laws and the legislations that, that in, in the jurisdiction, they have to abide and have to change the policy. So I feel like legislation would be the key to changing the policy. Got it. You know yeah, saying? so that's that's what we're fighting for. We're going to need our, our local representatives out in, out here. and Our local representative out here is Eloise Reyes, um, Assemblywoman Eloise Reyes. So we're going to need her help and her support to be able to help change these things, you know, for the community. She's in this community in San Bernardino. She has, a, you know, a, a spot at the table, a seat at the table in Sacramento. Um, she's influential if she wants to be, and we're rallying for her support. I met with her before a couple of times. Things didn't pan out the way I wanted them to pan out, but I'm looking for change. Mm -hmm. I don't have an agenda. My agenda is change and to make sure that these kids have placement. That's really what. That's really all I want, right? So I'll deal with not having a company or not having a job. My employees will be able to find jobs, right? You know, we'll bounce back. But this can't happen again where 12 kids are displaced because the state just makes a mandate to say, hey, shut this group home down. That just can't happen. And in the way it happened, it, it just, it, it's, it's not, it's not right. So we got to do something different. Definitely. So as far as your employees, are, are they behind you? Did they feel Absolutely. Like, did they feel like you made the right decision? They did. A lot of my, I mean, a lot of our employees were at the rally. Right, so they are behind me because I've been keeping them. You know, I've been informing them of everything that was going on. This wasn't an odd, the blue thing. We've been going through this since February 2019. So I've been informing them of what's going on and say, hey, this is what the state's trying to do. We've been trying to fight this, and um, I don't want to say we failed or we lost. We may have lost the battle, we didn't lose the war, right? So we may have lost this one battle because, um, you know, like I said, people don't have jobs and it's during the holidays and Christmas is around the corner. But my employees are still there, and they're still helping, and they're still fighting because they want to see first that group homes open back up. Okay, so what about the real estate? You have these homes that are just sitting? I do. I have two homes just sitting there. You know, I got I got rent. I have I have vehicles. I have, you know, car payments. I have insurance. Liability insurance, workers' comp, right? Bills don't stop. 
funding and everything gets stopped, but bills don't stop. So I'm Definitely. keeping my facilities open, and um, I'm gonna try to keep it afloat as long as I can physically um, until you know hopefully I can try to get this turned around. So. We're definitely keeping our real estate. We're keeping our vehicles. We're keeping everything to try to get this turned around. The last thing I want to do is let things go. Wow.